There are multiple accounts in the Gospels of, of that night, that, that fateful night, um, the Last Supper, of course, when they shared that meal for the last time, the, uh, the walk to the garden, the time in that garden, that time of, of extreme distress, the arrest, the shock of trials, three of them, and then into the, the experience of that, of that day, the, the brutality, the insults, the floggings, and finally the crucifixion, a grand conspiracy of his enemies coming together to, to kill him, to end his life, and to end the threat that he represented the scattering of the disciples, and the ending of a movement that seemed once so promising. So much happening, so difficult to take it in. And it might seem removed in some ways, historically, geographically, culturally, maybe even personally. Hard to imagine. Hard to relate to? I hope not. As we are invited to recreate and experience that garden experience tonight, I hope that you will relate. I believe you can relate. I think we must relate because there's something powerful for us to gain by going to that garden. We're going to look at the passage from Luke chapter 22. And that passage is uh, one description of the events in that garden. And uh, I'm going to read it for us. I want you to listen very carefully to this and uh, use your imagination to put yourself in the place of the disciples. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The Garden of Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane means oil press. The garden is an olive grove, and there was an oil press there. And you know what an oil press does? It applies pressure. Interesting how that's a metaphor for the experience that night, for Jesus and for his disciples. There was pressure applied, the pressure of circumstances, the pressure of, of, of fear that would be difficult for them to define. If, if you ask the disciples, what are you afraid of? They would just simply talk about an atmosphere. They would talk about uh, um, a, a kind of feeling they had. Uh, they didn't understand his words. There were times when it looked like they were on the edge of something triumphant. And then he would talk about going to Jerusalem and about a grand conspiracy against him and about a death on a cross and other incomprehensible 
projections of what indeed they were about to face. As they left the dinner, the Last Supper, the Passover meal, a description of the death to come, but again, beyond their ability to understand. They left, and as usual, they went to this favorite place, kind of a place of reflection, a place of rest. But tonight, it wouldn't be that place. It wouldn't be that familiar place. It would feel haunted on this night. And their master, their Lord, their Savior, their best friend was completely undone. And uh, it overwhelmed them. What happens when you get overwhelmed? What happened on that night when everyone there in that garden, including Jesus, was overwhelmed? Yes, even Jesus was overwhelmed. He was the only one who saw clearly what was coming, and he was overwhelmed. He sweat drops of blood. You have to be in a pretty intense place. You have to feel the pain pretty deeply to get to that place physiologically, and he did. What did Jesus do when he was overwhelmed? He prayed. He stayed connected with his Father. He poured it out. He embraced the pain. There is never a picture of Jesus more vulnerable, nor more transparently human than on this night. On the edge of this horrible, tragic circumstance about to unfold as all the forces of evil came against him. The power of sin, the death, death, and the devil were all conspiring against him. And he would submit. And he was so absolutely transparent. And these words are recorded for us. Father, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me. Please deliver me from this horrible agony. And it was an agony beyond simply the physical torture, which was agony enough. But there was so much more going on. He became sin. He became sin. The one who was sinless became sin. The one who was absolutely innocent carried the burden of the world, carried the worst that you and I have ever done. He took that in order to accomplish what we have no right to expect, the outcome of forgiveness. And his friends abandoning him. And the nation he came to, the primary people of God, the original calling, and they gave up on him. They turned against him. But the worst of all, of course, was the abandonment by his father in that one moment when the judgment of God came on the Son of God. And as he anticipated that coming, he prayed. That's what he did. He got overwhelmed and he prayed. It's mysterious for us. The Father and the Son in communion. They've had an eternal communion and now it gets as intense as it ever would. But we can't understand that. What did the disciples do when they were overwhelmed? They went to sleep. They were exhausted by the sorrow of it by the confusion of it. Have you ever tried to figure something out and you can't figure it out and finally you give up? Have you ever been in such a bad place? You just check out. You shut down. It's too much. You can't handle it. You 
You don't know what to do. All the old formulas don't work. Everything that you've always done that makes it work, it falls apart. Your whole world is unraveling in front of you. And it seems like, it seems like the one you're counting on the most isn't going to be able to help you out. And so what do you do? Well, you fall asleep. And Jesus comes back and he says, Oh, I want you to stay, stay with me here. I want you to pray. And pray. And pray your way through this. There's no other way to do it. There's no other way to do it. Why pray? If you're in the garden of agony right now, why pray? You pray to stay awake. Stay awake. Stay alert. Well, I I don't want to be awake. I don't want to be alert. I don't want to feel it. It's going to get much worse. And you're going to miss all the cues. And you're going to lose touch with the one who is your oxygen, who is your life, if you don't stay awake. You're going to pray because you're going to face temptation coming up. The temptation that Peter's about to face and fail miserably because he's not praying, because he's asleep. And all the rest. And all the rest as well. Pray before you need to pray. Don't wait till the crisis to pray. Start praying now. And if you get closer, amp it up. Make that your lifestyle. Make that a constant communication link. Keep praying. Because the temptation, the testing will come if it isn't here already. Be ready when it comes. Anticipate. Pray for strength. Pray for strength. Jesus, in his humanity, is praying for strength. And uh, there was some kind of presence that was there strengthening him. He didn't pray ultimately to avoid the cross, though he desperately wanted to in his humanity. Of course he did. But he was willing to go through that. He needed strength to go through it. You need strength to go through it. Sometimes we pray to avoid something and we hope desperately we don't have to face it. But that may be God's will for us. And we may say along with Jesus, because he gives us the courage, all right, then I need strength to go through it. I pray to be awake. I pray to face temptation with wisdom and with courage. I pray for strength because I don't have enough. And I pray for the capacity to surrender my will. You know, we're used to sitting in church and listening to a passage be interpreted and listening to somebody else illustrate it from his experience or somebody else's experience. And we listen... Sometimes we actually pay attention. Once in a while we take something from it and we walk away. Very often we kind of forget. We kind of lose the impact of it. Tonight I want to invite all of us to experience at least a bit of this garden experience. You may be in a crisis right now where the pressure might be coming up. You might be in the oil press in Gethsemane right now. It might be coming. You might have gone through it and know that sometimes it recycles. We're not in control of these circumstances. God is working out a larger purpose. He is shaping us into the image of his son. He's showing us 
how to do this. It's no sin, it's no shame to be overwhelmed. It's all right. In fact, it's important to admit it, to be as vulnerable as Jesus, whom we claim to follow. Well, then you better have some resource if you're going to be that vulnerable, if you're actually going to be human, if you're actually going to survive and not only survive, but somehow thrive through this. Make it through the night. Get through this experience in the garden when it looks like there's no way out. And so, in literally a minute or two, I'm going to invite you to stand up. And we have two scenes. We've recreated the Garden of Gethsemane down front to your left, to my right over here. I'm going to invite you to visit the garden. I'm going to invite you to visit the garden and pray. You can actually come all the way into the garden and you can kneel if you choose to. You can kneel on the carpet. You can sit on a chair nearby. You can stand. You can do whatever you need to do to have a moment with God. And there is going to be a, uh, some instruction on the screen if you, if you need some help just getting started in your prayer. You can pray out loud. You can pray quietly. You can pray with somebody. It's a quiet time. It's your own space. And... Uh, I hope it becomes the beginning of a time of prayer that continues throughout the weekend. You can start over here or you can start over on this side where we're having communion being served. And you're going to serve yourself. There's bread here and you'll take a piece of bread and there's a cup and you'll dip it into the cup. And uh, you can go by yourself. You can go with someone else. Take a moment. Feel free to linger around the cross. Go to one side or the other. Um... And then make sure that you go to both. And we have uh, some time to do that. We're, we're not in a rush. Um, we've done our best to recreate a bit of the mood. It is dark in here. It is quiet. We do have some space. We do have the, the feeling of a garden. We do have the cross over here. We do have the elements of communion. You are invited to partake of those elements if it is for you an act of faith to take a hold of that physical bread which reminds us of his body. And that cup, as we dip the bread into the cup, reminds us of his blood poured out for us. It's all the help that we need. It's a kind of prayer in and of itself to take communion. You're asking for God. You're depending on him. Jesus showed us the way. As the Son of God, He was also human. He showed us what it means to be fully human. If Jesus needed to pray, we need to pray. With much more intention. Probably with a lot more passion. Probably sustaining that prayer over a period of time. So I'm going to pray for you right now. And I'm going to invite you to move um, to one side or the other. And then come back and forth. Go from one side to the other and make sure that you visit both stations. I think that you'll find it a very rich experience. Lord, here we are. It's Good Friday. And it can be good, even in defiance of the darkness and the threat and all that might be coming, and we don't know any more than the disciples did exactly what that will mean. But we know we need to pray. We know we need to stay awake, God awake and alert and connected with you and listening to you and pouring our hearts out to you and receiving from you all that you want to give us. So as we pray now in the garden, in this garden that we've recreated, as we go to the foot of the cross and take communion,
Lord, we're listening as well as speaking. And we're longing for you to manifest yourself to us. We seek an encounter with you, with the living Christ who went through all of this and across and whose sacrifice was vindicated on the third day when you raised him again. That's the big picture, Lord, right now we're in the garden scene. Thank you for your invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you awake? Are you wide awake? Sometimes it hurts to be awake, to be that aware. Sometimes it's uh, frustrating. We like distracting ourselves. We like checking out. We like we like avoiding the issues. Whatever you're going through, whatever you should be facing, Jesus has already been there. He knows about the pain. He knows about the temptation. He's endured it. He went the distance. He went all the way. We tend to give up, either by checking out or acting out. But he went the distance, and he did it exactly right. And that's hard. It's hard to do it right. He did it perfectly. You and I can't do it perfectly. That's why we need all the help we can get, and he's the one who provides the help. There is such a a constant emphasis in Scripture on awakening, on coming alive, on... um, Leaving that, that, that sleep world, that fantasy world, that pretend place. And yes, embracing the reality right in front of us, but realizing that we're not alone, that he is with us. That he did go through that experience in that garden, and he sweat drops of blood. And he was beaten, and he was humiliated, and he was accused, and he was interrogated. And finally, he was crucified, prolonging the agony as long as they possibly could. His enemies were really good at that. He went all the way and gave himself, gave his life, and turns it all around into redemption for us. We do have a high priest who understands everything that we are going through and everything and anything we ever will go through. He understands it. And he has the capacity, because he went through it now, to walk with us and show us how and give us the strength and deliver us, deliver you through whatever. I could never make that promise. That's above my pay grade. I'm just a pastor. This is God's word we're talking about. And so it is Good Friday. Because this sacrifice makes a difference. It isn't just a tragedy. It's a tragedy turned on its head by God's amazing power, miraculous power to transform the worst 
and turn it into something worthwhile, something beautiful. That, that, that this suffering is redemptive. It's redemptive. It changes the world. It changes your world. It invites you to stay awake for the duration of your life and beyond. And for all the ways that you have fallen, like Peter and the rest of the disciples, there's now forgiveness, ample forgiveness for you. And your part is to pour it out. Your part is to stay awake. Your part is to ask. Your part is to receive. And he even empowers that. How can we refuse? How can we prefer sleep to the reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ? The one who was in that garden, who was in agony, utter agony. That was the cost of his great love for us. I hope that as you've had time to pray in your seat over here, this beautiful scene over here, time to approach the table with the cross looming nearby. Yes, the symbol of agony is over here as well, obviously. And yet it's all overshadowed by the victory of God in Christ. And we're going to walk into that on Sunday morning. But we need to walk through this place and understand why our need is so great, which will prove to us again why Sunday is such a victory. This is a quiet night, a, t- a night for reflection. I hope, it, uh, I hope it suits you. I hope that you take time now and then, more often than that, to reflect, to pray, to ask, to stay still and quiet so that God can speak to you, so he can work inside you. I hope he's doing that tonight. I hope you'll share that with somebody if he has. I think it helps. I think it makes it more real. The disciples were supposed to go through this together. Instead, they scattered and they were all alone out there. But he brought them back together. He brought them back together. He brings us back together. That is his will. He's he's building something here. And you're such a vital part of that. And you shouldn't miss that. I want to pray for us. We're going to close with with a worship song. And he is eminently deserving of our worship because of what he did for us. And then we're going to walk quietly out. I'm going to come up and say a final word. We're going to walk quietly out. And we're going to lean into the hope of that new life that bursts forth from the grave on Resurrection Day on Sunday morning. And I hope you'll be there with us. And a lot more of us, I'm sure. God, you know by name and by face and by personality and by need everybody who's sitting here tonight. And those of us up front on stage who are leading. And we're not all that. We've got our issues. We have fallen down. We have stumbled. We have fallen asleep. Lord, we're, we're waking up to your grace and to your goodness. Yes, in the middle of our need. 
And sometimes we're going to sweat it out because we don't know exactly where this is going. But we know that you are holding on to us and that you have already gone ahead of us and that you will never, ever leave us. Jesus was forsaken so that we don't have to be ever forsaken. And I pray, Lord, that you would just imprint that conviction in our hearts now. That you would strengthen us as we're praying to you, as we're pleading with you. As we let go of our pride that would distort our thinking. And so with a humility and a boldness, we come. And we thank you, our priest for taking care of all the things we can't take care of and setting us free. We linger in the garden. It's hard. But it is a good place to pray and to learn more about you. And so we have done this. Thank you for escorting us through the darkest of places. In Jesus' name, amen.